Counting backwards from 100, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. A podcast that never needs cheering up after a rough day. He only goes to Ace Hardware stores that serve popcorn. It's Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is, Drew McMillan. This is Doug Jones, everybody's Medicare expert. This is uh, my favorite thing to do all week long is to uh, record a podcast for those who are approaching Medicare. And the Medicare that I'm talking about is the health insurance that people age 65 and older are forced into by the federal government. And when I say forced into, um, it's because many people don't know that it actually can be beneficial. If you're given the right advice from a Medicare expert, such as myself, then you will find that Medicare is probably going to be beneficial for you as well. Compared to the insurance that most people have, which I refer to as Obamacare, uh, you're going to find that Medicare is probably going to be better coverage, probably lower out-of-pocket costs, and probably suitable for you for the rest of your life. And uh, only the act of God or an act of Congress can screw that up. So I would like everybody to feel comfortable about crossing over into Medicare. By virtue of my book, that's where the inspiration for all of this comfort level comes from. It's Medicare for the Lazy Man, Simplest and Easiest Guide Ever. And that's on sale at Amazon.com in four different versions. You got your hardcover, you got your soft cover, you got your Audible book, and you got your Kindle ebook. If you want to go over to uh, the uh, other famous bookstore, uh, Barnes and Noble, they have it online just in the paperback version for a very reasonable price, but it's got the pretty color illustrations. But if you're going to give a gift to somebody, I would suggest the hardcover book that you can get at Amazon. In any event, we have uh, come to the point of our uh, podcast episode where I often invite Randy to join us, but his, uh, his audible or his audio recording sounds a little odd to me it's tickling my ears as though there's something weird about it so instead of having him uh, speak to us right away what i would do is have him play that 30 second radio spot that we do every couple of episodes i'm going to be quiet and expect that that thing's going to be played and then randy's going to join us after that i hope just a moment Medicare is complicated. Medicare can be confusing. Medicare is no fun to study. Will you know what decisions to make when Medicare time arrives for you? My name is Doug Jones, and I wrote a book to help you figure it all out. Medicare for the Lazy Man. It's on sale at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can download and listen to my podcast, Medicare for the Lazy Man, wherever fine podcasts are given away free of charge. Medicare for the Lazy Man, simplest and easiest guide ever. Okay. That's uh, always what I like to hear. That radio spot never grows old. Uh, the Rolling Stones playing the music bed is uh, it's one of my favorite instrumentals. They didn't have many instrumentals 
but uh, that's the one that I like the best. It was, I think, recorded at Chess Studios on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Anyway, Randy, uh, have you uh, have you had a good morning so far today? I have, other than when I started having audio problems. But uh, other than that, everything's going well. Well, your audio problem may be my imagination, too. You're going to have to listen to this recording and see whether you agree with me that you sound different than normal or whether everything's just hunky-dory. Could be my imagination. Well, you know, chances are with technology, something unbeknownst to me has changed in the settings. Because, you know, basically every day of my life, you know, something in technology has, you know, there are software updates. There's all kinds of things that can happen. So I don't, I don't doubt your listening ability at all. Uh, it's just something that I have to track down. And if I sound like I'm, you know, talking from a, you know, like a fourteen dollar mic in a barrel, <laughs> I I apologize, but it's not. It's my normal mic. <laughs> well, for the benefit of the audience, I did have a he he and I were chit chatting about odds and ends before the recording began, and I had a a, a stroke of insight. And I was able to share this with Randy. I said, you know what your voice sounds like? It sounds like the guy singing Winchester Cathedral. And those of us that are of a certain age will remember the song Winchester Cathedral and how the uh, the vocal, uh, the singer's voice came through like a, um, oh, God, what is that? A megaphone. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it sounded like. He was holding a megaphone up to his microphone and it had a very odd sound. And that's kind of the direction your voice has taken today as it comes through my headphones. And there's another uh, related audio recollection. A lot of people, well, Winchester Cathedral, you and I may be the only people in the world that remember that. Oh, but, boy. Uh, the other thing is a little more modern version, a little more modern take on that voice processing was there was a, a guy, Not a, I don't think he was a real guy. I think he was a, a made-up guy, but Max Headroom. Oh, remember God, him? yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that actor had some roles that, in which he was not a weird, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> God, what would you call the processing that went through to make well, him I, Max That's Headroom. all it was, was, audio processing. That's all it was. But, I mean, he, he was some sort of an automaton, you know, robot, yeah. something. Yeah. I don't know. He had but, been brought uh, back to life after uh, running into a uh, an overpass, and it said Max Headroom, and that's the last thing he saw because it was shorter than his height was or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been a number of different, you know, audio, memorable audio things in the in the history, but that's, okay. that's probably a two, the, two of them that really, you know. You know how many... You know how many times we've conversed and I can't remember what day of the week it is, or I can't remember what your name is. And well, I don't, I cannot explain this, but for some reason, the actor's name has sprung to my mind. It's really? Matt Frewer, F-R-E-U-E-R. Oh my gosh. I never knew it in the first place, but uh, you know, you must have some, um, some major indices going on search, search indices there. Well, that just caused another fact that I really, really need to fall out of my head. And so I am I will at some point sound like an imbecile <laughs> again. But anyway, let's kick it into gear, shall we? Let's deal with Yeah, Medicare. absolutely. I am I'm, actually very, very looking. I'm looking forward to seeing this new, this episode for today because it's got some things on there that really catch my attention. 
Well, I'm hoping that it uh, turns out to be a worthwhile period of time for the audience because it's the kind of thing that I have to often respond to people's requests for information by saying, I don't know. And what I often don't know is claims. Why is it that certain claim functions are a mystery? Well, I'm going to explain the claim that I encountered. It's my personal experience. Uh, I know if Ted Kennedy were still alive, he would have me arrested for sharing my personal medical history with the audience because HIPAA, the law of the land, has bullied all doctors, hospitals, and medical practitioners into having to bend over and um, record, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, to defend the privacy of everybody in the world. And that means nobody can email anything. Things have to be uh, faxed or things have to be mailed or things have to be hand-delivered. Nobody can use email anymore, which I think the rest of the world has decided is a the most efficient way to communicate with, especially with attached files and so forth. But because it violates the tenets of HIPAA, it has become verboten to do things in the most uh, efficient way possible. So <clears throat> I have, first of all, comments from a, uh, uh, a, a, so I have comments from one of my favorite uh, clients, a gentleman named Jules. I'm not going to use his last name because he uh, has not asked me to be uh, exposed to the whole world. But Jules is a guy who has a great sense of humor and listens to this podcast on a regular basis. He is also bucking for husband of the year because I don't think his wife lives in the cold climate state I don't think she enjoys living in the cold climate state where they spend all their summers. So he uh, allows her to live in Florida during the wintertime. And then she comes up north when uh, the snow melts and summer returns and the birds start tweeting and so forth. So anyway, I got some correspondence from Jules recently, and he was referring to our podcast episode uh, that had... Uh, I can't re even remember his episode number 375. So it was just a couple of episodes ago. He said, no matter how simple or complex the podcast, you usually solve some Medicare issue or bring attention to an upcoming change in enrollment process, maybe a rag on the advantage plans, yada, 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 a nugget, a chestnut. But did podcast number 375 even mention Medicare at all? And uh, then he has some uh, emojis attached to this, meaning he's not angry about it, but he was curious to know why we would have a podcast episode. I think that might have been the one we talked about ambulance charges and uh, how people of any age who are uh, invited to ride in an ambulance may suffer a financial penalty if it's not medically necessary, if what they're going for isn't covered by insurance. Uh, and if they walk to the ambulance and climb in rather than being put on a gurney and taken to the ambulance by the crew. So these are things that I think we warned people to watch out for in that particular episode. So I answered, I said, Jules, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. You could be right. It's entirely possible the word Medicare was never actually spoken during that episode. I don't feel too badly about it in view of the fact that the word is plastered on everything else around here. However, I will try to be more careful in the future. And then I asked how his wife's wrist, she had broken her wrist. Right after she signed up for Medicare with me, she broke her wrist. I think it might have been their way of 
testing the Medicare claims process. So I said it's on the road to full recovery, I hope. Thanks for the reminder about mentioning Medicare in the podcast. And then he responded, all is good here, loving the world of Medicare, so easy to take. I still enjoy learning and hearing about it, too. Listening to you and Randy banter about your youths is so relatable for me. I continue to encourage people to thoroughly explore the differences between original and advantage. I've given a few friends your book and recommended it to a few others. One coworker loved your book but commented, that you certainly didn't want lefties listening to the podcast. Laura is back in Maine for the summer. Her wrist is not at 100%, but healing as predicted. Medical bills are comfortably manageable. Keep the faith. And I said to, to Jules, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your word-of-mouth support. When it comes to helping people with Medicare, there are no political thoughts on my side. We are all Americans looking for a satisfactory solution to the Medicare quandary. So that's the whole thing. I wanted to stress the fact that I don't poo-poo or uh, denigrate clients or potential clients just because they might hold political views that differ from my uh, point of view. Uh, All are welcome when it comes to uh, dealing with Medicare and especially to tapping into my advice about how people should best prepare for Medicare and what coverages they should get when Medicare time arrives for them. So that did kind of seem related to me to a Medicare claim that I had recently. Often people talk to me about, uh, you know, they ask me questions about how the claims process works. And I say to them, it's a big mystery to me. I can quote some experience I've had, but I can't tell you what happens all the time. The process seems to vary from one claim to the next. And I just, I can't predict adequately. And so I don't even try, but I had a claim recently that uh, points up some of the reason for um, confusion and some of the reason for my confidently recommending high deductible plan G for most people of average or better health. And that reason is that there is much less risk involved with a high deductible plan G than one might suspect. So what happened to me was I had to, as Randy knows all this, uh, you can, you know, take a nap or get some coffee while I explain this, Randy, but I had to go back to Illinois because a buyer for my family manse happened to come by, take a look and offered pretty much full asking price. And that was in November of last year. And I said, okay, I'll accept your offer. And they said, well, we want you out of that house pronto. And so Mary and I went back in the middle of December and it took us six weeks to clear out the house. One of the reasons it took so long was that I felt worse and worse and worse through the whole process. I had trouble getting out of bed in the morning, and that was not helped by the fact that I was sleeping on a mattress on the carpeted floor because I'd gotten rid of all the furniture and the mattresses. And uh, I'll tell you, those 1-800-GOT-JUNK guys, there's room for negotiation. Their initial uh, bid for moving things out like mattresses does not have to be the final word because they asked for about a million dollars to get rid of uh, eight bedrooms full of stuff. No, six bedrooms full of stuff. And uh, I was able to negotiate that down to a a paltry $500, I believe. But um, 
I felt worse and worse and worse through the whole thing. I felt it was more difficult to get up in the morning every day. I felt an increasingly painful backache that just wouldn't go away. So getting rolling onto the floor from a mattress uh, that was on the carpeted floor and then trying to stand up became a real chore. And I thought, man, there's something really wrong with me. Uh, I had to look at the calendar to remind myself of how old I was. And it was just very difficult. And Mary was having even worse trouble because she's got a bad knee. So I had to put a chair next to her mattress so that she could actually use the chair to pull herself to a standing position. And then we would have to move, spend all day packing boxes and moving those boxes, you know, to a, a staging point. And, oh, God, it was just a nightmare. So when we got, uh, you know, ready, we got out of the car, uh, <clears throat> out of the house and moved to a uh, local hotel, a Hampton Inn. And uh, that's where I actually started getting some sleep. And it was easier to get out of a real bed than it was, uh, you know, like a mattress on the floor. And so I didn't start feeling any better, didn't get any more energy. I thought, okay, now the work is over. Things should start improving. And so we uh, eventually left. I believe we left on February 1st and drove back to Arizona and we made it a leisurely trip. So it was like a half a day, two full days, and then another half a day to arrive back in our our uh, Fortress of Solitude in Cave Creek, Arizona. And then I started feeling poorly, poorlier. And I wound up sleeping a couple of days, just, you know, 24-7. So finally, Mary said, look, if you don't go to the uh, emergency room, and have or urgent care or whatever, find out what's wrong, then I'm going to be really upset with you. And so I said, well, we've got this brand new, very attractive looking eight bed hospital. Uh, a Brazo is the term that's been applied to that. Apparently there's a hospital company that has hospitals in other locations. I had never heard of it until they built this new place. It had only been open a few months. And so I said, all right, why don't I go over there and see what's what? So I went over there in her car got out and I walked to the door, walked into this big spacious waiting room with nobody in it. And there was one guy behind the desk and he said, how can I help you? And I said, <laughs> I said, I think I'm feeling kind of poorly. Oh, really? What's wrong? And I said, I, uh, a friend of mine has walking pneumonia and I feel the same way that he described that he does. And I said, I, there might be other things wrong with me too. I could have lung cancer. I could have all kinds of problems, but I believe I probably have pneumonia <clears throat> that would be my best guess. And he said, well, first of all, put this mask on, you idiot. <laughs> and then the next thing was, um, have a seat, and I will call the people that are going to take care of you. Eventually, a man and a woman who are nurses, I guess, um, came in and ushered me to a waiting or a, an examination room, told me to lay down in this bed, and they had the back tilted up. So, uh, basically I had to answer a million questions about my physical condition, about my medical history. And then they started doing tests and one, uh, the woman came over and she had this big Q-tip and just shoved that thing up my nose. And I realized what it was. I'd never had a COVID test before. And, uh, I said, okay, <laughs> uh, now you've got your sample, right? She said, oh no. Uh, get ready for the other side because I do both nostrils. And uh, that was not a pleasant experience for me at all. But these people spent what seemed like an hour uh, between their testing and their request for information about my personal history. 
And then uh, they went away. And then a lady doctor came in and she said, hello, sir, what seems to be the trouble today? So I explained to her the same thing I had told the other three people, the guy at the desk and the two nurses. I said, I think I probably have pneumonia and uh, I'm not sure, but, you know, I could have other things too, but I'm concerned about my well-being and I need to get fixed because I'm just I'm something is wrong with me. And she said, well, listen, I don't, you know, pneumonia, I'll be the judge of what you have a little on the snotty side, but not bad. She seemed very pleasant for the most part. And so then she went away and then here came a guy holding a, an X-ray thing. And he basically started in the same way. Now I figure all these people are gathered in a break room or, you know, smoking area or whatever. And they're explaining to each other what they've encountered with me. So I figure he knows everything I've told everybody else. But this guy starts out with a very weird question. And in in my sickened state, I was thinking, all right, how do you, I think he was asking me how I arrived at their facility. And uh, all I could say was I drove my wife's car and he looked at me oddly. And then he said, why did you do that? (laughs) And the only answer I could come up with was uh, so that I don't have to hitchhike home. So I have something to drive home. And then he said, you know something, you're really uncooperative. I really don't like you, sir. You're very uncooperative. But it turns out he was the x-ray tech. And so I said, you know, next time learn how to ask a question that a person that speaks English can answer. And so he um, put the x-ray thing behind me and took pictures and eventually the lady doctor came back and said, well, I owe you an apology. You were right. You have COVID and you have walking pneumonia. And I said, oh, great. That explains why I feel like death warmed over. And so at the end of the whole process, they sent me home with some prescriptions and uh, I got to sleep without being uh, criticized for it. And the prescriptions, uh, whatever they were, whipped me right back into shape. Within a few days, I was feeling chipper and perky again. I was back to my old self. And then two things happened that were kind of disappointing. The first thing was that the, uh, uh, the, um, I got a, uh, a request for, uh, an opinion as to how they did. It was, uh, like a customer care survey. And I took that opportunity to say, I had a great experience. Everybody was very professional, except for the one guy who was the x-ray technician and who didn't seem to be able to ask a question properly and certainly did not like my responses to his poorly constructed questions. And he called me uncooperative. And I said, I'm nothing if not cooperative to everybody in this process. So therefore I have, I strongly object to the way his uh, patient uh, treatment interaction occurred. Well, it turns out they weren't even going to, you know, slap him on the wrist because I read later that uh, they were looking for uh, people to staff this hospital and they were offering signing bonuses of up to $15,000. So I don't think they were going to take my complaint and uh, boot this guy out the door and have to go look for somebody else to pay a signing bonus to. So I'm sure that this guy never heard that I was dissatisfied with my interaction with him. Now, the other thing that happened was I got a bill in the mail from the hospital. And I thought that's pretty interesting because my understanding of Medicare bills is they don't show up for a while. So the bill uh, arrived and it basically said, uh, here's a copy of what we sent to your insurance company, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona. 
And so I called their billing office and I said, uh, I don't have coverage from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona. And they said, uh-oh, sorry, just tear that up and uh, we'll we'll reprocess it. And I said, by the way, I'm on Medicare, so you might want to send it to them first. <clears throat> and then they will send it to the proper insurance company. Okay, not a problem. We'll do that. Thanks for the advice. A couple of weeks later, I get another bill in the mail, same hospital sending me another bill. And what happened was they sent it this time a copy of uh, whatever they sent to Blue Cross Blue Shield of uh, Arizona again. And I call them up and I said, why are you doing this? And they said, well, with the Blue Cross Blue Shield organization, if you send it to whatever state you're in, they figure out where it should go and they send it to the correct state Blue Cross organization. And I said, I don't believe that for a minute, <clears throat> but if you tell me it's true, then you know, as long as you're not after money from me right now, then go ahead and, and follow your process. But I said, by the way, you still haven't sent it to Medicare, have you? And the girl looked and she said, oops, nope, I tear that bill up. Uh, we'll, we'll reprocess and we'll uh, then contact you later on. So finally, now here it is six or seven months later. And uh, two days ago, I got a Medicare summary notice, which is like an EOB, an explanation of benefits. And this hospital finally got their bill processing down the way it should be. And they charged me a total for this uh, you know, visit to their emergency room of $719. That was the total charge that they hoped to get. Medicare approved $120.90. Now, this is what I tell people all the time. Just because a doctor's bill says a certain amount that they would like to have, uh, they don't get that amount. It is cut back. It is reduced to meet the uh, payment that Medicare has authorized for the services rendered. So in my case, the hospital charged 719 bucks, but I waited. I did not fire off a check to them, and I made sure that they had followed the proper procedure by sending the uh, bill off to Medicare, and I wound up with a bill for $120.90. Now, Medicare then paid, and I don't get this at all, they paid one twenty one sixty seven. So they actually paid 77 cents more than uh, the actual charge they approved. And I owe nothing. The maximum you may be billed, 0.00. So I got to tell you, it is a, uh, it's an interesting thing that Medicare uh, allows the doctor to charge a whole bunch of money. They cut them back to the pre-acknowledged amount that Medicare is going to pay for. And then Medicare paid the whole thing, actually. 77 cents more than the uh, doctor was allowed to bill or the hospital. And so I can't explain it, but I can say that I see this time and time again, when people are exposed because of their Medicare, uh, their, their, especially their part B, their outpatient uh, coinsurance of 20%, whereas Medicare pays 80%. I tell people, don't worry too much about it because your doctor or your hospital is going to make a charge that is like pie in the sky. It's wishful thinking. And that charge is going to be reduced substantially by Medicare. And then that is what the insurance is going to do their calculation from. So in my case, they billed over $700. And uh, the actual charge Medicare allowed them to bill was $120. And Medicare paid that full amount on my behalf. 
So I wind up paying nothing for that little visit to the emergency room. The diagnosis that they originally poo-pooed turned out to be correct. I'm a genius. And uh, I was fully recovered within a few days after I went there. So the story, the lesson, I don't know. The lesson is the claims process is a big mystery to everyone. And uh, don't be afraid of calling them up and telling them, hey, do it again. I don't think you did it right. And uh, they will typically respond that, oh, okay, let me examine what we did and see if I did it correctly. So that's my experience with the Medicare claims process, Randy. It worked out to my advantage in a big way. I didn't have to pay a dime. Okay, so now I'm confused. I I always have to ask Doug for clarification on these things because as soon as I think, oh, I've got this all figured out, then Doug comes up with a situation where I don't have it figured out, obviously. Uh, so in that particular case, you went to the little mini hospital, I guess is what they yes. call it. Yep, so, Abrazo. So that claim, was that a Part A or a Part B response? Well, I was not inpatient. So it was a Part B claim. I walked in there, they did what they wanted to do, and then they threw me right out. So I was not considered to be an official overnight patient of that okay. facility. So okay. that was part B. Now, part B, as we know from uh, our study of Medicare, uh, there's a $200 deductible, 233 really. And then Medicare pays 80% of everything left over for the balance of the year. And your Medicare supplement pays 20% if you're fortunate enough to or smart enough to have a Medicare supplement. So I expected that I was going, and because I have high deductible plan G, I thought that I was going to have to pay 20% of some of that bill. But as it turns out, Medicare paid 100% of it. I don't know why. Yeah, don't yeah that, why. I'm confused. I mean, I, I, I thought, okay, well, it's a, maybe it's, okay, I know it was Part B. I thought it was Part B taking effect there. But then I thought, well, they only pay 80% and then everybody else gets to pay 20 And then I'm going, okay, well, okay, but the reduced amount, okay, so maybe they're going to pay 80% of the unreduced amount. I don't know. But yeah, the bottom line they, is I'm I'm now I'm even more confused than I was to begin with. This is why I chose it for the subject for today, because it is a confusing thing, even to experts. And it is unfortunately one of these mysteries of life that tended to work out in my favor this time. Yeah. yeah. I had a seven hundred dollar bill and I did not have to pay twenty percent of it. The mystery is why not? I don't know. And I may never know. But I'm happy that I'm paying the very low attractive premium for a high deductible plan G rather than paying the big fat expensive premium for a full blown plan G. And, uh, you know, the, the result was the same. I didn't have to pay anything out of my pocket. Right. Yeah. So again, I, I'm going to quit thinking I know what's going on totally because I don't, but again, it's, it's the government. So what are we going to say? We're going to say, let's scratch our heads and throw up our <laughs> arms and go have a Guinness. Why, why did you do that, sir? Well, I didn't have to. I didn't want to have to walk to the hospital here, <laughs> so I drove my car. That guy was <laughs> so irritating, but I didn't have the strength or the mental acuity to be able to figure out what was wrong with his line of questioning. I tried my best to answer his questions, and he wasn't happy with it. Well, there's just one thing uh, that we have talked about before about your technique of, you know, providing information to care providers. Doug makes a photocopy of every document that is going to be necessary for that particular situation. Right. And he presents it to him 
And literally, the way you've described it to me is you are so well-documented and so well-prepared, it just blows their mind. Well, I don't want to have to carry a bunch of stupid cards around that I almost never use because I'm a pretty healthy guy. So when I go to a doctor's, I've got a bunch of these photocopied up. And when I go to a, an encounter with a medical provider, I take one of these sheets out of my file and it's got a photocopy of my license, my Arizona driver's license, uh, my business card, because I want to promote my activities wherever I go, both sides of my prescription drug card, both sides of my Medicare supplement card, and both sides of my Medicare card. So all of that stuff is on one piece of paper. I don't have to try to dig around in my wallet to get it out or anything else. Yeah. I just hand, hand the piece of paper to the clerk. And so when I handed that piece of paper to this guy, he looked up at me with awe and reverence, mostly awe, less reverence. But he said, you're like the world's <laughs> best patient. And I well, said, yeah. well, thank you. Until I get in touch with your medic or your, uh, your x-ray, your x-ray guy, <laughs> your x-ray, uh, you know, technician, uh, right. he's, uh, he's probably not the best at customer service. And, oh, the other thing I was going to tell you is that when Doug got through with that visit for several weeks, I, I didn't want to tell him this, but he glowed. Okay. And I, and I don't know what the x-ray technician did to you, but. I, I, he might have given me a little extra shot. <laughs> and we all know that that's, that's the same problem that occurred to me to lose my uh, thyroid gland. Well, yeah, plus back in the day, they were. this is a whole other story we'll have to bring up again on a hanging chat. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, that story about how you got into there in the first place. But oh, yeah. long story short is I, I thoroughly enjoyed this whole thing. And uh, I I definitely think that people, you know, just normal run-of-the-mill citizens like me, we benefit from the knowledge of how you handle those things. So oh, just uh, to wrap you. it up, I'd forgotten one other little thing that happened. Okay. Uh, okay. After I after I explained how I arrived and and you know misunderstanding this guy's question, I drove my wife's car. How are you going to get home? I'm, I guess I'm going to drive it home. Um, after that had happened, and when they were contemplating letting me go, I guess they had to figure out whether or not I was capable of driving. So this very friendly clerk from the front desk came in with a clipboard, pretended to need some additional facts from me in order to round out his file. In reality, yeah. I believe he was interrogating me to see whether I had my poop together enough to be able to figure out how to drive a car, and because uh, they didn't want to get sued by letting me loose, and then they kill people in a, a horrible accident. So he asked me things like what my social security number was. Well, it was right. on the documentation, I think, that I gave him. He asked me where I was born, Oklahoma City. He asked me what I did for a living. And I said, I write silly books about Medicare. And he asked me three or four other questions. And they had nothing to do with anything, except I think he just wanted to make sure that my brain was functioning properly. Right, right. But that no, didn't I occur to me until several days later. I was yeah, wondering. that's that's exactly what happened. I, they were trying to make sure that even though you had this well well covered, documented uh, life in a, of insurance coverage, they wanted to make sure that you had uh, all your uh, little little ducks in a row to be able to find your way home. My oh, mental. By the, ducks. Way, I was, uh, by the way, I was going to tell you when you were talking about you and Mary sleeping on mattresses. Uh huh. I, I wasn't laughing because you were sleeping on mattresses. For some reason, you know how my brain works. I have the strangest operating brain in the world. Yeah. It took me right back to when you were going to U of A, and I just pictured you 
sleeping on a mattress at U of A at, at one of the uh, fraternities you were a member or the fraternity you were a member of. Okay. Well, I got to clear this up a little bit. Um, I belonged to a fraternity when I first went away to college in Indiana. I went to oh, okay. DePaul University in Indiana and I pledged Alpha Tau Omega. And I uh, had a wonderful year being a, an ATO living in the house with all the brothers and all that stuff, but I didn't make grades. They had a higher standard of uh, oh, uh, grade point I average. So basically, I flunked out and uh, wound up at the University of Arizona years later after I was married. But we did sleep in on mattresses on the floor there because uh, Mary's parents said, hey, um, we're going to give you a set of mattresses. Why don't you order the mattresses you would like to have? We didn't really have a bed. We just had mattresses. So the, fir <laughs> the first place I rented for her to move into in Arizona was furnished. And she didn't like that place so much. We moved to an unfurnished brand new apartment with a swimming pool right outside our door. But the thing was, we had to get a set of mattresses. And so we have, we're experienced in sleeping on the floor mattress, on mattress. mattress sleeping. Well, there is one huge advantage to it, Doug. When you, <laughs> when you, when you, when you, <laughs> when if you fall when out you, of bed, when you fall out of bed, there's only what, maybe 11 inches to fall. When you're 50 years older, though, when you try to get out of bed, it becomes more difficult. That was oh, the problem yeah. I was having. And I didn't realize the pneumonia and the COVID together would cause me to have difficulty standing up from having gotten off of a mattress on the floor. It was a, it was just a scary, scary time. Well, just one other little piece of you know information I want to add to that story because it'll kind of well, you know, kind of round it out well for the audience. Doug told me after he got home and he had his bout with COVID there that he was, uh, you know, deep in the COVID fog one evening trying to send an email and he couldn't figure out how to do an attachment. Now, that that's hilariously funny to me because I went through the same thing. It may not be hilariously funny to everybody, but the thought of Doug Jones sitting there for a half an hour trying to figure out how to run an email, it just tickles me because I went through the same thing. Yes, uh, kindred spirits there, aren't we? <laughs> so anyway, we need to say goodbye. We've used our time up. Thank you all for joining us. We thoroughly enjoy it. I particularly enjoyed today's session because we can all relate to it. You know, I, I can absolutely relate to it, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can too. So you have just spent... Well, wait a minute. Did we talk about the stuff we need to say at the end? I talked about the book a little bit, but you haven't gone through your whole rigmarole. You haven't told them where I'm from. You haven't told them where to go to get the book. You haven't told them to write me once in a while. All right. Well, I need to do my job here. So we have got to sign off in our normal fashion. Get your pencil out, everybody. I promised Doug I would say this because he gets so disappointed when it doesn't happen. Write him some email at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. He looks for it every day. He's like a little kid waiting for a decoder ring. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm, you just can't believe it. And then go to amazon.com, buy a paperback, buy several. We're, you know, believe it or not, we're running into the latter part of the year already. So you better start stocking up and deciding what you want to do for uh, Christmas gifts or holiday gifts or Hanukkah or whatever they have you. We need to get these books out because, as you've heard, there's a tremendous amount of knowledge in this book. And if you don't read it, you're just missing out because it's good stuff. Doug's a straight shooter, and it's all listed in this book. Get an audio version of it if you want to listen. 
get a Kindle version of it if you want to sit there on your Kindle at night reading in the darkness. But get something because ultimately it's the best investment you ever made. You have just spent, believe it or not, about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Oklahoma, now residing in Cave Creek, Arizona, up in the high mountain extremes behind Cave Creek in his fortress of solitude. Bye-bye.